Hello, and welcome to Stasis Pod, the Transformers animated podcast. I'm Rob. I'm Jen. I'm Alex. And I'm David. And today begins the start of our journey through Transformers Animated, the uh, the first post-movie uh, Transformers uh, TV series. Yeah, and it was the first Western-produced one uh, after Beast Machines. Yes, and the first American-produced one since Generation 1. Yeah. I'd even suggest that calling it post-movie is a misnomer. It is movie concurrent. Yeah, movie concurrent. I mean, this was released, uh, the first episode aired December 26, 2007, uh, Boxing Day up here in Canada. Ooh. Mmm, boxes. Mmm, days. <laughs> I mean, for me, it mostly means turkey leftovers, which uh, I'm all for. Yes. At least one explanation I've heard for the name is that it's, you know, like the, the nobility boxed up their leftovers and gave it out to everyone else. Yeah. So that's why it was Boxing Day. But I don't know, you know, how accurate that was. I, I, as a Canadian, I probably should know this, but I actually do not. That's what I've heard is that no one really is, <laughs> no one is really certain why, why it is that. So yeah, this is the premiere episode, and this would have aired um, about almost exa- I think around six months after the first Transformers movie, which I think came out in July. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, it was the beginning of July. Yeah, I think July fourth. Mm-hmm. Oh, there we go. Weren't they like going for July fourth, and then it wasn't quite? They like changed it to the third or something, so they could do like a Wednesday release or one oh, of those yeah, weird things. Probably. I'm, I'm sure there were like. Thursday at midnight screenings. At that point, at that point, they yeah. actually cared about making it midnight instead of just sighing and backing out to Thursday night at seven is technically the release date. I've Within heard that there is a very good reason for that that is actually sort of sad, and I won't go into. It. Oh, I mean, unless I, you'd like me to. Basically, it has to do with the uh, the shooting in oh. uh, at that Batman showing so for security reasons it's much better idea to have that stuff you know when there's still a significant number of police around on on the job welcome Uh, to america (laughs) yeah so yeah this aired uh yeah six months after that movie had come out there was still plenty of transformers merchandise on the shelves and uh the american populace hungered for more transformers yes Though, as I think we had mentioned before, they weren't sure, like, how well it was actually going to do. So the the cartoon actually sort of erred towards the side of, of caution and went a little more G1 in that regard. Yes. And, in fact, it's so G1 that the first thing we see in this episode, uh, which is Transform and Rollout, it's, uh, it's a three-parter, so we'll be covering the first part today. 
It's uh, written by Marty Eisenberg of Beast Machines fame, who was uh, the, the head writer for the show. And yeah, this cartoon is so G1 that the first thing we see in this show is G1. Yes. <laughs> we have... It was, at the very least, it was uh, sort of flashbacks during G1. Uh, it was some clips from Wardon and a little bit of the beginning of More Than Meets the Eye before they've left Cybertron. Right, with the, so with the Tetra some, Jets. Yes, you get some Tetra Jets in there. You get, like, Dion at the end saluting. Uh, you yes. You get uh, some Guardian bunch robots. Yes, a bunch of Guardian Sentinels. robots. Yes, so... So Although, yes, of course, I, despite clips from Wardon, we do not see a bunch of the aerial bots being dicks. Yeah, <laughs> that made me sad. That always makes me sad. And there's <laughs> every moment of my life where there is not aerial bots being dicks, I'm I'm kind of sad. <laughs> it's I'm I'm sad a lot. Is what we're, <laughs> is what we're saying. <laughs> yes, it seems that this is in fact a history uh, video being watched by Optimus Prime. Uh, well, uh, isn't that actually the incorrect name? What is he at this point? No, he, he is Optimus Prime. He is Optimus, oh, he's Optimus Prime. Prime. Okay. Because Prime is just, I mean, he's, we'll, we'll get into it, but Prime is basically a rank in this. Uh, yes. and Similarly, it's sort of a, captain. yes, at, at the very least, it's a basic officer rank. Mm-hmm. And that is, uh, yeah, so, Unlike the previous uh, Unicron Trilogy shows and uh, Robots in Disguise, this is an Optimus Prime more in the Optimus Primal mode. Which is ironic, because he's voiced by Megatron. That's right. It is <laughs> David Kay. Yes. Who, I guess in the interim, or I think he has dual citizenship of some sort, so he can work in both American and Canadian productions. Yeah. Yeah, but I think he did actually move for probably something before this to California. Okay. Well, probably for, you know, a, a larger array of opportunities. Yeah, I don't think it was like I, I heard that Cam Clark did moving to Canada so he could be in He-Man. I think it was, I, I think he was just, you know, in the U.S. for various opportunities. Might have been the uh, Fox Sports deal. Uh, that'll do it. Where he was it. the voice of their network for a while. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. That, that is the kind not. of money that will do it. Yep. Yeah, he's he's watching this. He you know he's kind of a young idealistic uh, commander who has been given this crummy assignment of fixing space bridges in outer space. Not just in outer like the crappy part of outer space where nobody wants to be. <laughs> if there's a bright center to the universe, this is the place that's farthest from. Yes. He's gotten assigned to basically a maintenance crew out into the backwaters of space. Space! And that crew is Ratchet, voiced by uh, Generation 1 voice actor Corey Burton. Yes, and this is actually the something that uh, you see a lot more. It's basically continued since then is uh, Grumpy Old Man Ratchet. Yes, uh, which is so something good. that wasn't really, you know, with with G one, he wasn't really grumpy old man. I mean, it sounded like Papa Smurf. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, in the comic, he was basically just suicidal. But apart from that, he, yeah. he was, well, it kind of developed into that because he was pushed into the grumpy and suicidal and taking on Megatron multiple times. But yes, well, yeah, There's more than but, a bit of cup going into him at this point. 
Yes. But yeah, in in the cartoon, apart from, I mean, maybe that's part of it is just him sounding like Papa Smurf. So they're like, hey, we'll we'll give him an old guy personality. Whereas in in the cartoon, he was really just like, you know, the medic hung out with, <laughs> with Wheeljack and made things that should not be like the Dinobots. Dinobots? I thought you were supposed to make dinosaurs. <laughs> Shut up, Mirage. I think that was Huffer. <laughs> oh, Huffer, yeah. Everybody right. hates you, Huffer. It's true. Everyone hates him. But anyway, yeah, the voice by Corey Burton, who is in, like, everything. He was uh, he was Braun and Spike and Shockwave on Generation 1. He's uh, Brainiac on the 90 Superman cartoon. I think he does a bunch of stuff on Clone Wars. And yeah, he's in, like, everything. Yeah, and uh, one of the neat things about him being cast in this is that then later, uh, which we'll get to eventually, when some of his G1 characters show up, he gets to voice them as well. That's right. Because he just happens to already be, be hanging around the studio. Well, we've already got him here, so we might as well. Yeah. We do it to four voices before we have to pay him a second time. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, they're inside uh, the ship. Ratchet thinks that Prime is just wasting his time uh, watching this because Ratchet is old enough that he's a veteran of this great war. Because we are in, I guess, a period of peacetime. The Decepticons are thought to be extinct. And so the Autobots are just left to rule Cybertron and fix their space bridges. Yeah, and that's also something that's you know, kind of beast wars about it is the idea of, of the war being over. Mm-hmm. And which a lot of subsequent fiction has picked up. Yeah. I mean, admittedly, and say the, the IDW stuff, it reached that point. It developed to that point. But, but yeah, it's, I mean, post-war is definitely a very interesting situation to explore. Seems to have more storytelling potential than just... Oh, one's red, one's purple. They fight. <laughs> Autobots wage their battles to destroy the evil forces of the Decepticons. Yes, indeed. Which, uh, speaking of, we should mention the theme song with this, which is, again, kind of another riff on the original Generation 1 theme song. Yeah. But this yeah. is definitely better than the three Unicron Trilogy ones oh, and yeah. Robots in Disguise. Oh, yeah. Because it, it actually adds some new lyrics that are fun, like well, Justice Bolts and Gears. That is, that is cut out of the broadcast version, but it was, in, I guess the original version is like a minute. It was cut down for to 30 seconds for broadcast. Yeah. Yeah, there's a bit where they rhyme more than they appear with Justice Bolts and Gears. <laughs> yeah, it's a really good theme song. It's it arguably an improvement over the song they showed the original footage of this show with, Fueled by Metallica. Oh. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It was yeah. it was not I what I desired. That. No. I don't think that version that was the one where everybody was sort of like uh I mean I but think people sort of warmed up to it after that. So the oh, yeah. animation did look good and Yeah. Um And I guess we can also mention the Japanese intro here, which is which really brings to mind that uh, Japanese version of the uh, 90s X-Men cartoon intro. Oh, yeah, just going all out for the opening and 
really doesn't have anything to do with the show itself. It's just thematic and fun and has a great song. I mean, nobody's crying for the moon, but it's kind of giving me that vibe. Yeah. <laughs> it has characters that barely show up in the show and it featured prominently. And a character who does not appear on the show. <laughs> Sir, not appearing in this show. Like that um, uh, mysterious evil entity. Oh, yeah, the evil shadow thing. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, those are both, uh, we will put those both on the Facebook page, because they're, uh, they're worth watching. As, as a very brief aside, wasn't the X-Men cartoon translated by the same people who did the, the Beast Wars translation? So it was like I, really goofy and dumb. That does sound right. I, I, I recall hearing that. I think you're right. So yes, then they also had music similar, I guess. The end. So anyway, they venture outside and we meet the rest of the uh the crew. We've got Bulkhead, the big guy. Uh voiced yes. by Bill Fagerbach. Uh best known for playing various uh big slow witted guys. <laughs> yeah, yes. it, it, on and off screen. Yes. At this point, his uh, most prolific role is probably Patrick Starr from uh, SpongeBob SquarePants. Yes. Yes. Uh, uh, he's yeah, on he's Broadway on Gargoyles. Uh, he was on Coach. I forgot. And yes. uh, he's that guy who thinks everything spells uh, moon in uh, <laughs> uh, The Stand. Yeah. Oh, my God. I had forgotten about that until just now. <laughs> I'm so excited that that's... M-O-O-N. M-O-O-N. That spells bulkhead. Oh, I love I love the stand. <laughs> so yeah, that is uh, that's Bulkhead. He is he turns into some sort of large land vehicle. He's kind of you know a big clumsy, good-hearted but kind of dim guy. Adorable goof. It it's a character I don't think we've had in Transformers before. Not really. really no. I mean, he's a little bit Rhinox, but not clever like Rhinox. <laughs> well, yeah, not. Spoilers, that's not entirely later. No, yes. he, he's deceptive. He, he's the big clumsy guy. Yes. Who, well, he, he, very, the team is very much like your classic Sentai team or uh, Gotcha Man, Battle for the Planet. Oh, he's the hunk. Yeah. He's the hunk. Oh, yeah. Voltron. Let's say Voltron because that's back now. <laughs> it is. Yay, and it's actually pretty great now. Yep. Yeah. And yay, yeah. Bulkhead isn't a person, so they can't make fat jokes. <laughs> no. Yes. That is fortunate. And uh, we've got Bumblebee, who is back in the franchise because he was in the movie. Yep. And he's played by Bumper <laughs> Robinson. <laughs> Which is a fun name. It is a fun name to say. <laughs> yes. Uh, he's, uh, he's, he's a Hermes' son on Futurama. Um, I think he's oh. been on a bunch of Star Treks. Ooh. Oh. I did not realize that. He was like a... I think he was on Deep Space Nine or something. And he's, uh, he's the Falcon on that current uh, Avengers cartoon. Huh. And then the final member of our five... Oh, he was also that? one of the few non-wrestler characters that existed solely to be suspects in the Scooby-Doo WrestleMania mystery directed oh. to DVD <laughs> movie. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so who did turn out to be the bad guy in that? Was it The Undertaker? No, it was uh, Bumper Robinson's character's dad, who didn't oh. want his kid to be a wrestler. I see. Oh. I, mean, it, I mean, it would make sense for it to be The Undertaker, because he is a guy who pretends to be spooky, but is actually just some dude. <laughs> <laughs> Which 
basically makes him a Scooby-Doo villain. Yeah, that's true. He's that is a, very true. He's a little closer to like a 13 Ghosts one, though, because he can actually summon lightning in kayfabe. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> yes. Maybe maybe more like more. I guess uh, if only Paul Bearer were still alive. <laughs> anyway, our final member of the fivesome is Prowl, who is an asshole ninja. Yeah. <laughs> on the one so hand, I had... he is an asshole ninja. On the other hand, he is the least assholeish prowl we've gotten in decades. This is true. Yes. Kind he's mellower. He's he's Snake Eyes who can talk, and you find out he's a jerk. Yes. <laughs> oh man. But he just thinks he's better than everyone else. It turns out, uh, yeah, Snake Eyes has just been a real bitch the uh, the whole time. <laughs> I mean, that's really what it comes down to: is he just thinks he's better than everyone else. And unfortunately, it turns out he, he often is. Yeah. 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 Uh, it's kind of jarring because he's voiced by Jeff Bennett, who's yes. awesome. And since yes. then, Jeff Bennett also used this voice for the Joker on Brave and the Bold. Oh, you're right, he did. Oh. Hmm. I was going to say it's Jeff Bennett doing his Jeff Bennett voice. Yes. Uh, we're going to see Jeff Bennett doing a whole bunch of voices later on. He's like, Seven different characters. Oh, we've met our Scott McNeil. <laughs> Actually, I, there are a lot of people pulling uh, double and triple duty on this show. Oh, yeah. That's true. That's true. So, yeah. Uh, and notably, uh, pretty much everybody here gets Cybertronian modes, which I appreciated. Yeah, I mean, I suppose yeah, well, when it's just an animated... You know, when you just have to get somebody to do the the character design, it's not as big a deal as, you know, having to make an entirely new CG model. No. But we only see Optimus and Ratchet's alternate mode, I think. Yes, but all the others do have different robot modes. Yeah. And also, we get toys with both of those alternate modes. Yes, we do. Yes. Yes, Yes, we do. And then I think we see Bulkhead and Bumblebee's Cybertronian modes later on in the show. Yeah, they designed them for flashbacks and stuff. Oh, yeah, they do see flashbacks. Right. Yes, stuff. <laughs> so, yeah, they are, they are in this asteroid field, and they are trying to unjam a, uh, a space bridge. Space bridge. Kind of looks, like, looks like a big tuning fork. <laughs> it does, yeah. 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 So, yeah, they, uh, you know, they, they clear some rocks. Optimus gives everybody a we-can-do-it speech. I love how completely over Optimus's speeches Prowl is. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that, that was nice. It's like he gives a speech. It's not that long, but people are tired of it. Like, yeah, Bumblebee isn't quite having Bumblebee's. He's not exactly G one Bumblebee on it. He's kind of a bit of a rat trap. He, you know, I I know in the opening scenes in in the first episode we get him both. Uh, Doing doing a Cheetor thing, calling Optimus Big Bot, and but later he is the one who says we're all gonna die. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so he gets to be both both the Cheetor and the Rat Trap. It's a good combination. I yeah. yeah. Really like this version of the character. Yes. Uh, and I'm really glad they did not use the voice actor they used for the movie. <laughs> oh, the, the weird British guy. Yeah. I was referring yeah. more to the not being able to speak English and instead speaking in TV clips. Oh, yes. That is yeah. Fun. That also. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's coming. <laughs> yes. That, somebody else can do that. Yeah. <sighs> so anyway, they find what's been jamming up this uh, space bridge, and it turns out it's uh, it's glowing 
and it kind of looks like one of those old styrofoam Big Mac boxes with handles. <laughs> it looks like one of those styrofoam <laughs> Big Mac boxes with Matrix handles. Mm-hmm. They they are fairly Matrix evocative handles. Yeah, yeah it's like a rhombusy Matrix thing. Because as it turns out, this thing is the All Spark, which was notably a big, well, the MacGuffin. It was the MacGuffin of, of the first Transformers. Yes. <laughs> Before Very time so. began, there was the cube. <laughs> it has been said. I, you I could can't glean not. it. <laughs> <laughs> no. Listen, the, the, the important thing is, cube is a fun word to say, and in that transform, in that 2007 Transformers movie, everybody's saying cube. <laughs> it's a good point. It is a lot of fun to say. Where's and the cube? Cube. Cube. So yeah, Ratchet recognizes this thing right away and just says they should just chuck it back. But before they can do that, uh, they find that something is coming. And it's big, and it looks like a Decepticon ship. Oops. I'm Which... almost positive this is supposed to be the Nemesis. I think it was later named as the Nemesis. Okay. And... Very similar design. It's a very neat design. I'm sure it was named in, like, the AllSpark Almanac. Oh, definitely. And yes, it is the Nemesis. That's so, not yeah, they... really a surprise, though, with the way that the AllSpark Almanac just, you know made everything G1 things, which is well, fine. Or, I mean, it, for it the was, most part, was what was turned out to be a disturbing trend, but at the time, I enjoyed it for what it was. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, they, they get on the ship, they they figure out that, yes, this is the Allspark, and so they uh, they radio the Cybertron Elite Guard for help. Spoon! And yes, it is <laughs> Sentinel Prime, who looks like the robot tick. Yes, he's he's blue, and apparently that was like I, I asked I think Derek Wyatt about it at, at one of the bot cons, and yeah, when they found out that it was gonna be Townsend Coleman, they're like we're gonna make him look like the Tick. Yes, because this is Townsend Coleman, voice actor for uh, the Tick, and also a Generation One voice actor. Yeah, was he it's like rewind? Oh, oh yeah, whenever oh, man. read his dialogue in uh Martha Meets the Eye, just imagine he sounds like the pick. <laughs> oh. I I'm gonna I'm gonna do that now. So I guess it's one of those things like Jim Cummings, which we talked about on the uh news podcast one time about how he was like one character briefly in an episode or two and has had this extensive career since then. So oh, actually, apparently he's in two stuff. episodes. He's also one of those uh, jerk teenagers in Bot. Oh. No. Let us not, let us not speak of that. Back to episode. Anything but Bot. Um, something we should maybe bring up uh, because of Sentinel Prime, Chins. Yes. <laughs> the show has a very distinctive art style. It's kind of divisive. I personally love it. I think it looks great. Yeah. It, it's simple, but it's perfect for animation. It's just enough details that you can do stuff fluidly. Yeah. It looks great. It is yeah. super easy to draw, super fast to draw. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And yes, so it, Optimus' it, it, lips are kind of cat-like. Well, I wouldn't say... <laughs> it, is, it is a little weird. They're very pouty. They're, they're um, almost overlord-ish. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can I can see that. 
Although, if we're talking about cats, Bumblebee's head kind of looks like cat ears. Do horns. <laughs> he's got a shrink mouth. For the Smith's a Cheetor thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but chins. A large variety of large chins. From Bulkhead's giant wide one, Sentinel Prime's tick one, Prowl's really, really long one. And I think that sort of fits in with the whole superheroic theme of the uh, of yeah. the show because uh, superheroes, by and large, have good chins. Yeah, Benjamin yes. Grimm with the giant bulkhead jaw. Batman, Superman, uh, Captain America, all good chins. Yeah. So yes, this and actually, uh, in on the subject of superheroes, uh, the uh, a lot of the creative, the the artistic creative side of this came over from the Teen Titans cartoon, which was hugely popular. Yes. Uh, and that actually, as as an interesting fandom note, uh, that was really one of the big first influxes we had of a. That was when you'd go to BotCon and suddenly there's all these teenage girls in cosplay there uh, because <laughs> they. You know, followed the creative team over from from the Teen Titans fandom and and really got into it. Uh, so and and that was I'm gonna be like, oh my god! But what was it? Uh, the, I guess the first big animated one. And now I'm blanking out on the year. I guess that would be 2008. Yes. Uh, when it was in in California, and and it, at some point, you know, I was talking to to Aaron Archer, and he was like. There's, there's so many girls here now. It's like, yeah. That's no, I, I think 2008 really was Cincinnati. 2008 okay, was so it Cincinnati because I was there. It would be 2009 because it was definitely in Cal. Yeah, because it was the one that Weird Al was at, oh, right. uh, and David Kay, and and so yeah, it was the the first California one after animated started. But yeah, it was like noticeable how suddenly the fandom was a lot younger and more female than it had been. And I think we've really held on to that a lot. I think we had a lot of it in Prime and we've got a whole lot of it with the IDW stuff now. Yes. Um, but but it was that was cool. But I think a lot of that was because, you know, they they came along with the the artistic team from Teen Titans. Hmm. So yeah, they and in a few whole... years we're going to get Transformers animated go and everyone's gonna hate it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, they get on the horn to Sentinel Prime, who is kind of like the Tick, but also uh, more like the Dick, because <laughs> he clearly knows Optimus Prime, and he doesn't think much of him. Yeah, he's a big jerk. I like how soon they establish A, the rivalry, and B, the concept of the Elite Guard. Yes. Yes. Hmm. But once they show Sentinel what they've got, he immediately puts them on to Ultra Magnus, who is the head of the Elite Guard, and is also uh, Jeff Bennett, Doing his best Robert Stack impression. It's it's a pretty good it's a pretty good Robert Stack impression. It is. I mean, if they're going to yeah. do that uh, that unsolved mysteries revival, <laughs> maybe get Jeff Bennett. Yes, it's very good at it. As opposed to uh, was it Dennis Farina they had uh, when they revived it in the two thousands? Oh, I don't know. It was either Dennis Farina or that guy who played Skinner on the X Files. One of them did Unsolved Mysteries. The other did, I think, In Search Of. Oh, yeah. I remember watching the one with Skinner. So do I, and that's weird, because I would never have watched that. Yeah. 
And yet anyway, somehow Ultra Magnus did. says, you know, stay where you are. We're going to send some guys. But unfortunately, where they are is with a giant Decepticon ship bearing down on them. And this Decepticon ship is colossal. Also, quite dickishly, Ultra Magnus tells Prime that, like, he's, what was it? He's not, you're not programmed to be a hero. Yes. It's just, man, it's not cool. It's I not mean, cool, he's man. very Ultra Magnus. Yes. But also a little bit of a dick. Just everybody's a dick yeah. to Optimus. Yeah. Sad. It makes me sad. Yeah. And in fact, Optimus and Ratchet both recognize the markings on the ship, which it does mark it as the Decepticon flagship, which means it must be commanded by Megatron. <gasps> Who no one has seen for quite some time. Yes. Optimus and... tries to respond by activating their ship's defense mode Omega, but it's apparently been disabled to save fuel. Yes. <laughs> for budgetary reasons. Oops. <laughs> uh. Nice foreshadowing and, and good joke. I, yes. I love that they're foreshadowing this as early as the first episode. Yes. Yeah. And so soon enough, we are introduced in a somewhat Marvel Comics-esque uh, intro dump to the Decepticon crew of this ship. We've got Megatron, uh, voiced by Corey Burton again. Kind of doing a uh, movie Megatron voice. Kind of. Well, it- well a little bit of that, a little bit Brainiac. A little bit Shockwave? A little bit, I mean, not entirely Shockwave, because... No, you know, spoiler. it's more emotional than Shockwave. Yes. And he is very clearly based on uh, movie Megatron's general design. Oh, uh, yeah. Yep. yeah. Well, the proportions are different, but yeah, the face is as close as you can get to movie Megatron in animation. Yes. On a weekly basis. And yeah. we'll see if the vehicle mode is cl- fairly close as well. So we've got uh, we've got Starscream, uh, voiced by SpongeBob SquarePants himself, Tom Kenny. Yay! Oh, all the jokes that spawned from that fact. He's doing a very good Chris Lotta impression here. Yeah, yeah, it's not quite Lotta, but I think it's the closest anyone has gotten since, and it's good. Yeah, I mean, it's his, it's his own thing, but it definitely sounds fairly close to that. Yeah, it's not trying to be Chris Lotta, but it's very influenced by Chris Lotta's performance. Yes. Yes. I think this was the first time where it was really like it came across, and it was more so with uh, with Transformers Prime too. But just the idea of Starscream as like a role that voice actors might aspire to, uh, yes. sort of came across it at this point. That you know, like the the current generation of voice actors, you know, thought Chris Latta was really great, and you know were aspired to stuff that he had done instead of it just being like, eh, nobody cares about Transformers. As it had been for quite some time. Yes. So yeah, he's doing his Starscream thing. He's, you know, Megatron, you're a fool. I should be the leader. And uh, then he's accused of being a traitor by Lugnut, who is a new character, uh, voiced by David Kay again. Oh, it is. And his deal is that he is single-mindedly, fanatically loyal. Also, the way that he starts, I, I should have, like, noted the wording, but the way he starts, like, talking up Megatron, it just sounded like he was going to go into a cheer. Like, yeah. <laughs> Megatron is great. Megatron is strong. Megatron will go the whole night long. Or, I don't know. It, it felt like it was, the, the cadence of it felt like it was going to rhyme. 
Yeah, it's it's odd that the two new, well, new name characters are both giant, wide, bulky dudes. Yeah, I guess because there really weren't a lot of guys with that body type in or, the original show. Wait, was there? Were there? Well, I think Lugnut might have been like a repaint of something in Cybertron, but he wasn't a cartoon character. He was. His name was Lugnuts with a Z, oh, and he was oh, a beatnik motorcycle. God. Oh, oh, that character. He wasn't. Yeah. And then Bulkhead was a character on Energon where he was like a kooky old man helicopter who had distressing pelvic thrusting animation. <laughs> oh, that guy. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the totally new characters, just slightly recycled names. And so then Lugnut gets called out for being a doofus by Black Arachnia. Yay! Yes. What? Um, I, I had forgotten that she was like in the first episode, because then, as as we will go into as events unfold, you don't really see her again for a little while. Yeah, she shows up like once a season. Yeah, hmm. She's, they they use her sparingly. And yeah, so, uh, yes, uh, also known as every black woman on a cartoon for the past thirty years. And she quite is, a few small children. Yes. She is also in the new Voltron. I'm oh. not surprised. She's like that that hooded witch lady from, you know, old Voltron. Uh, Hagar? Uh, maybe. Something. Maybe that's her name. Does she, uh, do, does she also control a uh, pants empire? Sadly, no. Ah. Sadly, there are no pants involved. Not the not no slacks. In the old cartoon, she looked horrible, though. That's true. That's true. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. Yeah. And she's very much in the mode of early uh, Beast Wars, Black Arachnia, where she's just she's just too cool for everybody else on the ship. Yeah. Very. And much. they actually call out. They call out that she has an organic mode. Yes, which we are going to find more about later. And she's called out on this by Blitzwing, who, (laughs) much as the original Blitzwing had three modes, he has three modes and three personalities. All voiced by Bubba Robinson. There is uh, the, what seems to be a standard one, which is a kind of a vaguely aristocratic German accent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, you've got to the his angry personality, which is Bumble Robinson doing the, the Arnold Schwarzenegger impression. Yeah. <laughs> and then he's got a goofy jack lantern face, <laughs> which does uh, some other thing. It's like it's a German accent, an Austrian accent, and something. It's like it's, it's crazy Joker. Words. Yeah, it's 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 if Bumble Robinson was the Joker, it'd be his Joker voice. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, his name's Blitzwing, so he's, you know, mostly German-sounding. Oh, yeah, I never even thought of that. Yeah. So, yes, he he expresses his feelings in song. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it is, that that is definitely a very interesting approach to the whole triple-changer thing, because normally that's just, like, a thing. You know, it's not a, a... significant personality-defining characteristic. Yeah, but it's a thing that, like, considering that they were originally, like, sort of characterized back in old Marvel times, it's a surprise that wasn't around since G1. I suppose there's that, yeah. 
that, that I was seem sort to recall of weird that, thing. Uh, the bio from one of the duo cons mentions personality difficulties with that. Yeah, it's not surprising. I want to say it's Battle Trap, but I'm not sure. Maybe. I don't know. I have to look it up. It could be either one, considering their names are sort of backwards. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> Megatron busts in, shuts everybody up, and says, you know, I'm going to go get the Allspark. Starscream volunteers, but Megatron obviously does not trust him to do this. <laughs> because he knows, he realizes that that, that TV tropes trope is named after Starscream <laughs> for a reason. <laughs> but he does trust Starscream enough to give him a, uh, a tender pat on the back, uh, which delivers a, an obvious bomb onto Megatron. I mean, obvious to us, not you know, obvious to Megatron, apparently. Yeah, he just doesn't have a lot of... He doesn't have a lot of nerve endings back there. Doesn't have the articulation to grab it anyway. Also that. That's true. Have to get someone else to do it. And Lugnut just has those sort of claw hands, so what's he going to do? The clamps. <laughs> I'm greasing up my hoosets. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Megatron flies out in vehicle mode. Um latches onto the Autobot ship and just starts blasting his way through the hull. And so Megatron has to use, uh, or Optimus has to use some grabby arms, which made me think of uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000, the movie. Huh, oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, what, what were they called in there? Uh, they are uh, They're called Manos. Oh. <laughs> no. You can't just do that. Breach hull, all die. Even had an underline. <laughs> Uh, need to that. So, now, speaking of which, B says, "Oh, we're all gonna die, aren't we?" Yes. I, I'm appreciating the Beast Wars shoutouts on in this show. Yeah. Yeah. So, it uh, th- this bomb explodes, the ship goes careening into the uh, into the sp- into the space bridge, but the Allspark makes the space bridge send them elsewhere, which also causes the space bridge to subsequently explode once they're safely through. Yeah. Explode while Starscream is speeching yes. to now, himself. Now that Megatron has departed, I declare myself the new leader. Uh, except he's leader of nobody because everybody else is booking out. The the delivery, his delivery there is very movie. You know, that, that line of Starscream's. Yes. About how that Megatron, how that Megatron has departed, by which I mean I tossed him out the airlock. <laughs> And so Starscream is left, is the only person on this ship. I guess there were only like five crew members? Yeah, I we guess We see so. at least three escape pods fire off. Yeah, And I assume that's one each for Blitzwing, Lugnut, and Black Arachnia? Yeah, that makes sense. And so, yeah, they... Starscream is left alone on this ship as this giant fireball engulfs it. <laughs> Poor guy. No one wants to hang around and be followed by... or follow him. Yeah, everything just goes to white. So the the Autobot ship has successfully made it through uh, above uh, a planet. Uh, you can probably guess which one. Yeah, it's the Transformer true. ship is going to crash anywhere. It's going <laughs> to crash into Earth. <laughs> yep, that's what they do. Yep. Yeah. Yes, from four million years ago, billions of years in the future or the past, whatever Beast Wars kind of was, it was weird. A place is a big robot magnet. <laughs> yes. Well, in some cases, literally. Like uh, Prime? Yes. 
So luckily everybody has survived, but unfortunately, so has Megatron. And he is messed up. Well, that's what happens when you strap a Megatron to the roof of your vehicle. <laughs> Shit's gonna go wrong. True, it's a good point. It never works out. And despite missing, you know, an arm and significant portions of his body, he's still fighting mad. Well, he's almost twice the size of anybody else. Yes, I... I oh, that's another thing. The Decepticons are really tall, except this, for Black Arachne. This is the first time we see them next to each other. Yeah. And yeah, the Decepticons are gigantic, which sort of... Uh, I don't know if that is from the movie, but that is certainly true in the movie, where the most of the Decepticons are like big military vehicles, and the Autobots are all cars. Well, there was a... a I mean, this was something that was somewhat intentional in the way they set up the show, is that they wanted the Decepticons to be big, threatening. You know, they didn't want the Decepticons to just be, eh, it's the Decepticons. They wanted them to be, when they show up, you know, like one Decepticon should be enough to threaten all of their, their Autobot team. Yes. And that's part of why you also end up having sort of the, the human uh, supervillain sort of characters who, who show up because that, you know, lets them save the Decepticons for, like, big stuff. And, and yeah, that was an intentional decision. That was an intentional way to approach it on the part of the writers. Yeah, which is similar to the movie because in the movie they're all giant military vehicles except for Barricade. Yes. So – I don't know if it was intentional, but it same effect. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's yep. it's five on one. Even after they shut off the gravity, uh, a a a not in fighting trim Megatron is more than a match for the worst hip- Autobots at teamwork. Yes. Five on one, home turf advantage. He's already taken damage, and he still kind of wipes the floor with him. Probably yes. manages to make the. Probably biggest impact on him by cutting his arm the rest of the way off, but and I yeah, guess they just mentioned practice. here that these are not combat Autobots, and so all of their weapons are are tools. Yes, which is so, it's a nice touch. Yeah, Optimus has a cool rocket axe. Uh, Bulkhead has a fire truck. Yeah, Bulkhead has a a, a wrecking ball. Bumblebee has these kind of stinger things. Uh, which were taken from the movie design. Ratchet has Sue Richards-esque force fields. <laughs> yeah. And, oh, okay, Prowl does have ninja stars, but they're... <laughs> Damn it, Prowl. They're non-combat ninja stars. <laughs> I, I like the idea that he has an actual, like, useful repair tool weapon thing, and he's just a total weeaboo. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. bought these in the mall. <laughs> well, you were learning to repair space bridges. I studied the blade. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, he did. Uh, so they fight. Eventually, Prime does manage to maneuver Megatron out of the ship. And so, as they plunge well, into the atmosphere, Megatron... He maneuvers him out, out of the airlock after Ratchet kind of accidentally causes them to descend into orbit at a steep angle. Yes. Burning up. <laughs> so Megatron ends up hopefully burning up in the atmosphere. And uh, oh, the not after Harrison Prime that says, get off my plane and kicks him. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking more aliens, but yeah. 
or alien. So Megatron does indeed survive partially. Uh, we cut to Paw Paw, Michigan. Uh, actual town. Yes, actual oh, town, Paw Paw, Michigan. And something has landed in the cornfield. It is unfortunately not the infant Cal-El, but uh, <laughs> Megatron. Well, you, you get lemons, you make lemonade. Yes, yeah. and in this case, he's going to make a ton of robot aid. <laughs> yes. See, the uh, Prime gets into uh, emergency stasis, or Prime and the crew get into emergency stasis pods. We and have Stinger- title drop. Yay, stasis right. pods. Yay. And then we don't ever see them again, I don't They They do come up a little later. Oh. Uh-huh. I think it's around season three. Ah. Anyway, they avoid to not hit Detroit. They manage to not hit Detroit, and then they instead crash into Lake Erie. But you know, don't don't worry too much, Prime. I've been to Detroit. You, you can't do too much more to it. Yeah, I mean, oh no, you can't. Don't want to destroy Detroit. Oh, oh no. no, our rubble's on fire. <laughs> well, it would have been Detroit fifty years ago, or though fifty. Wait, when was this supposed to take place? I am not exactly sure. I believe that. This part was supposed to be happening in modern, like, in the present. Ah. Okay, so the... It, it, 50 years later, we're in, like, 2060 or so? Yeah. 2057. I just realized the show's 10 years old this year. Yep. Yeah. So yeah. Old. We're so old. <laughs> we're we're going to die soon. Yeah. <laughs> So, 50 years have passed. And Detroit, making this the most unrealistic science fiction series ever, Detroit has been revitalized. Yes. Because <laughs> it is no longer the Motor City, it is the Robot City. Yay! Old Detroit is new again. Yes. It's so futuristic that there are Witwickies. Yes. <laughs> they're futuristic Witwickies in their jumpsuits, which is great because no one else is wearing ridiculous jumpsuits. <laughs> Yeah, they're eating the hot dog. They're eating hot dogs on a stick, sold by a robot vendor. Yes. Some of the other character designs we see later are like sort of seventies or eighties clothing styles. Yes. Apparently, um, Derek Wyatt, who's the head character designer, is a big fan of seventies game shows. <laughs> uh, yeah, and Scooby Doo. So. Yeah, yes. So I think a lot of these are like outfits from people from like Match Game. <laughs> yeah, that that sounds about right. But but yes, there's a a brief cameo of uh, adult Spike, Carly, and Daniel. Yay! Yes, robots are doing everything. They're washing windows. They're cleaning urinals. And they're blank. Dola for match game. Oh, I get. Oh. I'm too young. Although wait, you're younger <laughs> than I am. Too young sure to network game shows a lot. So whenever <laughs> I went to sure. visit my. Uh, Paternal grandparents, I'd go and uh, watch old 70s game shows like Match Game. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I, say, I think I'm too young for that, and and I'm one of the older people here. Reruns. Yeah. See, so, yeah, this is all being explained by Isaac Sumdak, who is uh, Tom Kenny again, doing uh, an Indian accent, which... Uh, is that okay now? I'm not sure if that's okay. I, you know, I, yeah, it's, I like... I I was you know I was I was thinking well you know they're they've they've clearly established that he was in Michigan like ha- has been living in the U.S. for at least fifty years but I also like the 
that that idea that you know like i mean i guess he probably doesn't currently have extended family but he might have have had extended family for a while who he still spoke you know his native language around and would have maintained the accent yeah. and because it it did crash on his family farm well presumably family farm as a kid that had sumdak a big label on the barn mm-hmm. when he was 10ish i would say i mean he's like 60 now that makes that makes sense yeah, but it's the Indian accents a little. Eh, at least it, it's not like Apu from The Simpsons level. No, yeah, and it's it, just a voice, so it's better than Fisher Stevens. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and it's not like it, it's. It really just seems to be to further establish that this is a non-white character, which yes. And it's not to like make fun of that, but just to say that this is a thing. So, so yeah, I, I thought I took a moment while I was watching this, and admittedly, I, I am hella white, but otherwise, you know, I, I try to pay attention to these things. But it just seemed like the the way it was being used, you know, again, it wasn't Apu from The Simpsons. It was in a very just matter of fact this is who the character is kind of way. Yeah, he's just on this Canadian accent. He makes robots. Yeah. On the upside it's representation, on the downside it's not casting somebody of that race in the role, but it's ten years old. Yeah. Maybe yeah. today they would do better. Baby steps. Yes. Well, I think there are actual Indian characters on rescue bots who are voiced by actual Indian voice actor whose name I can't remember, but is the guy who voices Blades on that. Nice. I have not watched enough of that, and I really should watch more. I've been watching that on Netflix. Yeah. It's pretty fun. Yeah. Hmm. So, yeah. yeah he's, he's letting a bunch of kids tour his uh, facility. He's given them the guided tour. Uh, but unfortunately, this gets interrupted by his daughter, uh, Sari Sumdak, voiced by Internet Sweetheart, uh, Tara Strong. Yay! Yay! She's going to be a pony someday. Yep. She will indeed. <laughs> and she, she's very much doing her Timmy Turner voice for sorry. Yeah. Timmy Turner? Uh, from, uh, what was it? Uh, uh, Fairly Odd Parents, which that's the one. was only oh. just canceled this year. My God. What? What? Holy crap. Actually, wow. it's 2017 now. It might have been last year, but yeah. <laughs> wow. That's keeping Darren Norris off the streets. <laughs> So yeah, she is the spunky redheaded daughter of uh of uh Isaac Sumdak, and she is somewhat lacking in social graces. Yes. She is also very clearly, you know, of of Indian heritage as far as we know. <laughs> I, I will say at this point, uh but she does not have an accent. So no. there's that. She's and very much the, the, you know, second generation kid. Yeah. And yeah, uh, she is... You could even say she's G2. <laughs> you, you could say that. <laughs> and yeah, somewhat lacking in social graces, possibly because she has been raised... You know, she doesn't go to school or anything. She's raised by her father and by her robot tutor. Who is hilariously a robot with a little uh, uh, mortarboard cap. <laughs> I don't know. He's been emperorated. Yeah. I don't want to know what he did to deserve that. <laughs> Wouldn't shut up about the Holly Smoot tariff. 
Yeah. Yes, I, I appreciated the reference to the Holly, the an actual thing, the Holly Smoot tariff. Oh, okay. <laughs> Tell us about the Holly Smoot tariff. The Tariff Act of 1930, also known as the Holly Smoot tariff, was uh, sponsored by Senator Reed Smoot and Representative Willis C. Holly. Smoot. It uh, reduced American exports and imports by more than half during the Depression and greatly contributed to the Depression. Oh. Uh, good job. Good job. It was, uh, it's also what uh, Ben Stein is trying to teach uh, the kids in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. <laughs> oh. In oh. the Dave Barry book, uh, oh, Dave uh, Barry Bar- Does America, yes. he references it in every chapter. Uh, it's a funny word, Holly Smoot. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, she's also got a robot dog, Sparkplug, which is constantly trying to eat her keycard. <laughs> it is definitely a much better name for a dog than for a, like, 40-something overweight, <laughs> like, oil rig worker. Well, it was a nickname, presumably. It I wasn't a good thing, though, but then his son was named Spike. <laughs> or sometimes Buster. Yeah. yeah. It took until Daniel that they had a member of that family with a real name. And that was probably <laughs> Carly's doing. She was, it was probably, yeah. it's, it's like, uh, ah, uh, now I'm, I'm forgetting, uh, but, but Bulma's family in Dragon Ball. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, but she goes along with the dumb name. Yeah, well, no, that's her family is where the dumb names come from. Whereas Vegeta, yeah. he's like not even from Earth. He doesn't know that that's not normal to name your children after. Yeah, name your children after underwear. underwear. You'd think it was normal to name them after vegetables instead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Whereas, oh my God, maybe they, maybe all of their kids have like their their like uh, Saiyan name that that Vegeta gave them. That's like you know something like that. And then everyone else on the planet just ignores it. <laughs> yeah. It's like having an embarrassing middle name. Yeah, pretty much. Maybe it's exactly like that. Uh, yeah, my Cyan name is uh, Marion. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, uh, so, yeah. Anyway, so while this is going on, uh, there are a bunch of AIM guys uh, doing experiments with nanotech. <laughs> Uh, yeah. I mean, they're not wearing yellow, but they are totally just AIM guys from That's yeah, true. Yeah. They're conducting the important science of injecting cockroaches with nanobots. <laughs> yeah, sure, that, that, that'll be fun. Nothing can go wrong with that. And it's fact, not like there's a school field trip here. Yes. <laughs> and in fact, everything goes wrong because this la- this roach turns into a giant matter-absorbing blob monster. You may have seen it on Men in Black, the animated series. It is very much. I was gonna, I was gonna say uh, Godzilla, the animated series. Same Same animation. Yeah. Oh, they also did the Extreme Ghostbusters. Ooh. And I will say, didn't do this show, and yet somehow that's what the giant cockroach looks like. And this is where it sort of hit me. I mean, I, you know, when Beast Wars and Beast Machines were on, I watched those over and over. So, you know, I was never surprised by anything in them. And then when we watched the Unicron trilogy shows, nothing happened in them, so there was nothing to be surprised by. But if before I watched this, you had bet me fifty dollars that there was a roach monster in this episode, I would have lost that bet. <laughs> yeah, same yeah. here. It, it's oddly forgettable, considering it's the first thing. Yeah, 
And so, yeah, it uh, it busts out, and, uh, gee, uh, we could really use some giant robots uh, around here right now. Yeah, yeah, to help clean that up. Uh, but, uh, unfortunately, they're going to wait till next time, because that is the end of the episode. <gasps> Cliffhanger! It's a cliffhanger. Yes, because this this is a classic like multi part pilot. Uh, in fact, very yes. much eighty eighties style. The way that uh, they did, I think they were originally made as like tryouts. I don't know if Transformers was this way, but I know I think Gem was, and I think Inhumanoids was. Yeah, where they just made a multi part pilot, and then when it was successful, they later picked it up for more. Or they did I would the say of, Transformers uh, totally was that too. Yes. Yeah, I would say just based on the ending to the More Than Meets the Eye multi-part episode that absolutely it was written to be a standalone pilot. Yes. Because it ends with them being like, everyone's going home. (laughs) (laughs) And then they don't. (laughs) Awkward. Although not as awkward as not getting picked up, like robotics and Bigfoot and the muscle machines. Oh... Which I was terribly disappointed did not involve an actual Bigfoot driving a monster truck. <laughs> oh, did they ever do uh, in that pilot? Did they have a Hulk Hogan monster truck randomly show up? Sadly, no. That the there was a Hulk Hogan cartoon, but I don't think. Uh, presumably, there was a licensing issue there. <laughs> Probably. I, I, I think the giant monster truck was in the Hulk Hogan cartoon, though. Oh, was it? I mean, I... I think so? We know that Hasbro so had uh, had their hooks into Brad Garrett at the time, so they could have just got him to do his Hulk Hogan voice, which is kind of just his Brad Garrett voice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Now that's just getting even more horrible. I'm imagining Brad Garrett saying, Well, let me tell you something, brother, and Ray Romano going back and... Okay, what? <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, that is the first episode of Transformers Rollout and the first episode of Transformers Animated. And this this does a, you know, a nice breezy job of introducing you to uh, about 12 characters, uh, 14 characters, actually, counting um, counting Sentinel and uh, Ultra Magnus. Yeah. And, it, you know, it never feels crowded. You get a reasonably good sense of who everybody is. And, and we haven't established the status quo yet because we're still in the first episode and... Uh, robots are still taking a big nap under Lake Erie. Uh-huh. But it, it's still more characterization than any of the robots, except maybe Optimus Prime, get in the live-action movie. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe Bumblebee, but he doesn't talk, so that kind of doesn't count. Well, that's because it's not any more expensive to show robots on this than it is to show people. Yes. Yeah. Whereas you are not paying massive amounts of money and manpower to render Shia LaBeouf. Especially not if he's got that uh, bag over his head. (laughs) Oh, Shia. Actual cannibal Shia LaBeouf. (laughs) So, yeah, that is is it for this episode. You can find us all over uh, the Internet. We are on Tumblr, we are on Twitter, and we are on Facebook. And we are hosted by IaconUnderground.net, where you can find our news show, Icon Underground Radio. Uh, We have now set up Amazon affiliate links that you can use there to help support us uh, with upgrading various bits of equipment. And we also have our Patreon, 
at patreon.com slash iaconunderground. And you can also you can find us on both uh, iTunes and on Google Play. However you prefer to get us, please rate and review us. We'd uh, really appreciate it and would help the standing of the show. And if you want to uh, if you want to let us know what you thought about animated, then please write into the Maxim Mailbag, which we are keeping the name of because it's a good name. Yeah. <laughs> and that is at stasispodcast at gmail.com. So until next time, we look at the second part of Transformer Rollout. I'm Rob. I'm Chen. I'm Alex. Two words, Jam Project. Say what? Outro theme, which will be the Japanese oh. opening theme. Done by my favorite band in Japan. Oh, which maybe I should mention. Yeah, we'll, we'll do it. <laughs> yeah, second episode, we'll talk about that, and I guess we can also talk about the animation studio. Oh, okay. okay, I need to go to the bathroom. Do you have anybody who's breaking? Yes. <laughs>